Becker's Hospital Review is committed to delivering our audience safe access to vital educational opportunities. With this in mind, our 11th annual meeting will be in virtual format for the first time. Whether in the home or workplace, attendees will have access to sessions where industry leaders will be discussing the most pressing issues in healthcare, including the rise of virtual care, addressing clinician burnout, and delivering on-price transparency. To learn more, click on the conference tab at beckershospitalreview.com. This is Scott Beck with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We are thrilled today to be joined by Pamela Stoyanoff. Pamela is the President and Chief Operating Officer of the Medicine Health System in Dallas. She is a magnificent leader. We've had a chance to watch her evolve as a leader over the last decade plus, and just magnificent. Thrilled to visit with you today. Pam, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure, and thanks for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. Um, yep, Pam Stoyanoff. I actually am the President and COO for the Methodist Health System, which is in the Dallas, Texas area. Um, we are a 12 hospital system with about $2 billion in net revenue. And although in some markets that might be big, in this market it's small. So we are the smallest player of the four main ones. Um, I've been here for about 12 years. I hail from Chicago, actually, where you all are at. And um, my I actually started as a CFO and then migrated over to the operations side when I came to Methodist uh, almost 13 years ago now. So enjoying my time here and happy to join you today. Well, thank you. And talk a little bit about Methodist Health System has done this magnificent job in the Health Dallas of staying very strong and thriving, even as the fourth largest system in an area. And it's hard to do that. And you've done a magnificent job of doing it. Talk to us a little bit about Methodist Health Dallas and just a few points of pride in the system. Sure. Um, you know, I think that any health system has to have a solid foundation and you can't ever lose track of all of the things that make that foundation strong. So for us, you know, we always start with quality and, um, you know, happy that all of our quality metrics are really either in the top quartile or decile um, when compared to national metrics. We also, as a system, have worked really hard on patient experience and engagement. And so as a system, um, we are at the 75th percentile, meaning that some of our hospitals are near 90, uh, 90th percentile from an inpatient satisfaction perspective. So very proud to say um, that you know we're top quartile as a system. We have really low turnover. We've done a, a lot with employee engagement, and so our turnover right now, even amidst COVID and even amidst um, you know all that's going on, is at 8%, and that's probably one of the lowest levels we've ever had, uh, certainly the lowest in our market, which averages 16. Um, and we're also, you know, all of that, you know, if you concentrate on those things first, that tends to deliver that financial performance you're looking for. And so um, we do really well from that perspective. I think we're about uh, top 15% in the country in regards to financial performance as, as kind of rated by standards and poor as Moody's and all of those agencies. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the foundation. Um, you know, more recently, I'm actually proud that we were the first in North Texas um, to receive the COVID vaccine. We were one of four predisposition sites in the state um, and the only one in North Texas. And so, you know, frankly, Scott, it's funny, but that was one of the shining moments of my entire career to be able to give the first vaccine to the first person in North Texas, you know, days ahead of, of when um, more vaccine was shipped and others could start. And so, you know, just so proud to be able to do that and to have our health system uh, be able to lead that effort um, was great. And I, I think the other 
And last thing is, you know, our overall mission, um, you know, we started in the southern sector of Dallas, which is a um, challenging sector from a pair mix perspective, um, from an employment perspective, all of that. And, you know, we still sit there today, 90 years later, and I think we're able to serve that market and serve it well because of what we've done kind of outside of that sector. And so we have a very synergistic, um, you know, approach and, 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 and just proud that we're, we're, we've been here 90 years and, you know, still going strong. And, and, and take a moment, Pam, to talk about your own career and pivotal moments in your career, mentors and so forth. I remember you as CFO and being extremely bright, extremely articulate. Talk about your career journey and pivotal moments in it. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, um, you know, when I was in Chicago, I never really thought I'd move anywhere. And so I think one of the pivotal moments was actually moving. And from Chicago to Little Rock, Arkansas, which you know, I never would have thought I would have moved from Chicago to Little Rock, Arkansas, but I got to tell you, I loved it there, and 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 it was pivotal because I, that was my first CFO role um, over a four hospital system, and you know, I I grew fast, I grew quick, I learned a lot. It made me stronger, it, um, and you know, our CEO at the time, and I know you know him, uh, Dr. Mansfield you know, was a mentor to me in helping me learn how to be a CFO in a large system. So that was definitely pivotal for, pivotal for me, and he was definitely a mentor for me. And I think, once again, you know, coming here um, and moving over into the operations role, and I've had, you know, several people mentored me along that journey, um, you know, to, to make that shift and that transition from finance to operations, which is a hard one to make because, you know, in finance, it's kind of black and white and yes and no. And, you know, I close the books once a month and I start over. But in operations, it's like, you know, herding cats and there never seems to be one answer to anything. And frustrating for me. So I I, I think but making that pivotal role and, and having mentors, several of them, help me learn how to do that well has has helped me, you know, get my career to where it is now. And being a woman, you know, in um, especially starting out in finance. It is there. So, you know, you really do need the mentorship and somebody that's got your back and stands behind you and believes in you because otherwise it's just, it just can be really hard, you know, to find those career moves and, and to be considered for things. Take a moment. I'm being a woman leader today. I mean, obviously, more women presidents and CEOs than there were 15, 20 years ago, still a big gap. But what's your perspective on that? What do you see in the field in terms of women versus male CEOs, the growth in, in sort of the closing of the gender gap? What's your sense of that? Well, I think it's it's getting better. I do still think it's difficult. Um, I still think a lot of the perceptions about the differences between, you know, uh, women and male men and women leaders um, are still out there. And I think what I, you know, I talked to a lot of folks about this. I just, just did a talk about this last week. And, you know, um, I think that as a woman, rather than embrace the things that maybe a lot of male leaders think are weaknesses for women leaders, i.e. Um, emotionalism, um, you know, um, we're, we're probably a little bit more collaborative. Um, you know, some of the things that men kind of oftentimes aren't as emotional, want to make their decisions and move. 
I, I rather than trying to avoid those all the years that I've been in leadership, I'm finally actually embracing them. And I feel like, um, you know, those are the things that make me strong. And those are the things that balance my, my leadership style against maybe some uh, uh, male leadership style, which is a little stronger in certain aspects um, and not, you know, not as emotional or whatever. I think, I think bringing that to the workplace is actually a good thing. And it's taken me a lot of years to, to realize that that's the case. But I do think a lot of things where, you know, the women aren't as strong and men are stronger, we need to learn from that. Um, I.e., you know, I've never had a job, Scott, that I've been offered where I've actually asked for more money than I was offered. <laughs> and every male counterpart I know would have done that, you know, would have asked for more, would have, you know, would have been stronger about a raise that they felt they deserved. Um, you know, those are things that I think in general women tend to be shyer about, less confident about, and we just kind of accept what we're given often. And, you know, that's something where I think we need to learn from our male counterparts and, and, and do better and be stronger and start standing up for, you know, that equal pay for equal work um, concept. And so I think, I think there's things that our male counterparts can learn from us, but some that we can certainly learn from them. And, and that's how I, you know, I think that, um, you know, women in leadership can, can do better. Thank you, Pam, very much. And, and a fascinating discussion, really, because some of the qualities that you mentioned, the sort of compassion, the thoughtfulness, the, the sort of uh, detail orientation, a lot of different things that are, that are pigeonholed as, oh, God, woman-friendly skills or, or qualities are, are now, of course, are now, of course, though, the ones that now people look to and say, oh, my God, we need that in leadership. We need that. We need more of that. Exactly. And, and, and so just, I mean, it's, it's such a fascinating thing because for a long time. The bombastic sort of charismatic male was sort of, oh, that's who should be a leader. He's a patrician. He's this. He's that. And now people look less for that, and they're looking more for how do you build teams? How do you show compassion? How do you work with lots of people and stuff like that? And not so didactic leadership, but collaborative leadership. So it's a fascinating evolution, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I really – exactly. And I think that that's where women in the future could have an advantage because I think that we're just um, – naturally acclimated a little bit more to that sometimes. And, um, and I think that we should recognize that as a strength and build on it rather than like, like, like you know, like we said, avoid it. Fascinating. And one more question for you to Pam, and we appreciate you so much spending the time with us. It's been, it's been magnificent for me to watch you move from CFO over the years and highly regarded in your role to now president of a system, really magnificent. Talk for a moment about, Big priorities this coming year. Two or three big priorities for 2021. Sure. Um, you know, we've all been living and breathing COVID. And so a priority for us is, you know, really, um, what do we do after COVID? You know, how do we regroup post this? Um, you know, I have one hospital that, you know, had 309 patients the other day and 200 of them were COVID. You know, how do, how do they regroup, regain, restart, get back to normal post-COVID? How do... How do healthcare heroes who have been, um, you know, t uh, you know, touted as heroes, which which is true, working in healthcare, how do they, um, you know, how do I keep them from having a downer after this all kind of goes away, right? So I think there's a lot of work to do with the workforce to make sure that they can stay engaged later when they're not in the spotlight, when, um, you know, when everybody isn't looking to them, you know, and we get back to work as normal. So that's one of our priorities. Um, I think I'll talk about that for one second. Is, is, Pam, is the workforce going to be just exhausted from this, and is it going to take time to sort of recuperate from this? Like, 
incredible strain on the workforce? Yep. I think they are exhausted. And you know how anything goes right now, there's a lot of adrenaline and there's a lot of pride and there's a lot of, I want to help. And you know, I want to volunteer to vaccinate people and all of that. And, and you're exactly right, Scott, when that stops, the exhaustion will catch up. Um, the, 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 I think there'll be a downer. You know, I think that there'll be a lot of people in the profession depressed, you know, because, because they've been such on such a high for so long that, that, Ew, now what do I do? You know, so I, I think that's a really valid um, thing that we all have to think about later, you know, because it is a spotlight for us now and, and a positive one, you know, mostly sometimes in healthcare, we're in the negative spotlight, but this is positive. And so how do we, how do we transition? And I don't have the answer to that, but I do have the questions and I, and I know that us, you know, as an organization are trying to think about that now um, versus, you know, later when that happens and everybody kind of hits that low and and we have to pull everybody out of it because I do think that could be a challenge for a lot of organizations um, so that's one I think I think secondly for us is you know quality health care and really going from where we're at now to that kind of high reliability journey and you know zero harm and um, you know, no caudies, no collapses, you know, no falls, um, all of that. You know, we're very high performing, but, you know, we're certainly not zero harm. And, and, and I think we're going to be embarking on a journey for high reliability. You know, how do you maintain that over time? And um, so that's one of our um, top priorities. And I think the last for us, and this is probably common with a lot of health systems too, we've learned a lot from COVID and, really the populations that, um, you know, struggle and, and there's so much more um, uh, emphasis now on social determinants of health and, and really getting into the communities that struggle and trying to help them. And so we're trying to start a, a collaborative, a North Texas collaborative where um, not only healthcare systems, but, you know, other large foundations get together and try and form something new. Um, we've actually received a commitment from our board, um, to start that monetary commitment, to start that, and we're working right now to get others help, you know, try and convince others to join us. But there's just so much work that we need to do. And I think traditionally in healthcare, you know, we never thought it was our job beyond our walls, really, um, but it really is. And and we need to do more in the communities we serve to help, um, you know, so that those all of the social disparities don't lead to health inadequacy later. So that that's probably our you know my third priority other than just maintaining that same foundation and all the traditional things. Um, you know those are probably three of the ones that are unique and different that bubble to the surface. No, I think fantastic. I mean you really talk about the workforce, the high quality journey, and then really serving the community and taking care of social determinants of health in the entire community and magnificent. Pam, a great pleasure to visit with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Always a pleasure. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having much. me. Bye bye.